And that was, what is a hero? Characteristics and aspects of a hero. And you guys gave some good answers. Strong, brave, courageous. So this week I'm going to ask you similar questions, but about a different topic. And this comes from the reality that this Friday, uh, a movie's getting released, which I think is a travesty. And that is because uh, I think there is no debate whatsoever of the greatest basketball player of all time. It is clearly Michael Jordan. And I know that because I was a kid when Space Jam came out. And it's the greatest movie ever. Kids, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to, to watch it as soon as possible. Now, this week, Space Jam 2, I guess is what they're calling it. Space Jam, the new legacy comes out with this other candidate for the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James. I'm here to tell you, kids, that's not even a contest. But <laughs> when we think of that idea of the greatest of all time, Greatness, the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, the third or fourth best LeBron James. But what does it mean to be great? So kids, when you hear the word great, what does that mean? What does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? Amazing. Yes, that was a phone a friend. That was good. That was smart. Way to use that. Utilize it. Win those millions. Other, other ways we use the term great. All right, good. I think you guys got more excited about the superheroes last week than this idea of great. What about a leader? What does it mean for somebody to be a leader? Yes. Someone takes care of you. It gives you somebody to follow, to look after. Uh, who here in school has ever gotten to be the line leader? I'm hoping all of us. What does a line leader do? What does a line leader in school do? Yes. He leads the line? What does that mean? What does that mean, a line leader? You're in the front of the line and other people in the line know where to go because you're there. Well, this week, we're going to be going through the Beatitudes again. You've got activity sheets there for you for kids. But we're going to be going through the Beatitudes that we started last week. And this idea of greatness, this idea of leadership. So adults, to get started with you, this is going to be a participatory aspect for you. I know sometimes you probably get jealous that the kids get to blurt things out. And there's probably plenty you would like to say. I'm here to provide that opportunity for you this morning. So when we think of this idea of greatness, what does it mean to be great? What do we mean by that? Adults, who can, who's got some thoughts there? Ben. You overcame, you are overcoming some uh, big adversity. You've overcome something difficult, you've persevered, you've powered through. Yeah, great. I used the word there. Other thoughts on this word great? What do we mean when we say that? We got another thought on greatness, yes. What's that? Famous. Famous, yes. That's important to the sermon. Thank you for setting me up. Man, I didn't even ask him. That was great. What about leadership? What, what do we think of as a good leader? Adults, what, what is a good leader? What do we mean by that? Vision. Vision? Okay. Stealing my thunder, Jared, but thank you. 
Yes, someone who serves. It's good. Well, yes. Someone willing to, to do the tasks we might not want to. Someone willing to, to put in the work. Those are great answers, and I think that they'll apply for the sermon today. And so, last week we talked about this idea of a hero. We talked uh, a little bit about Marvel. I made fun of Marvel. Told you you should probably just spend your time watching Lord of the Rings multiple times. This idea of a true hero being humble and gracious and meek. And we don't need a superhero to be the corrective agent to the world gone bad. We just need humble, loving, gracious people like hobbits to do what it takes to pour out themselves. And that's the lesson we get from the Beatitudes. And so we also talked about Thomas Aquinas said, you know, there are four powerful, the way Tim Keller puts them as counterfeit gods. There are four particularly powerful counterfeit gods that can very easily pull us away from the true God. Does any of the adults in the room remember those four if you were here last week? What are those four powerful counterfeit gods that can easily pull us away? Yes, Jack. Greed? Wealth. Yes, wealth is certainly one of them. Others. Power. Pleasure. And fame. Yes, so those four powerful counterfeit gods that Aquinas points out can easily pull us away from God. And so what practical function can the Beatitudes have in our lives? Remember, we talked last week about the idea of detachment. Seeing the blessedness in the Beatitudes shows us that there's a true freedom in those who are completely detached by circumstance from those four very powerful counterfeit gods. That it might seem on the surface to be much more difficult to be them. But in reality, in a spiritual sense, there's not much attachment to somebody in poverty to wealth. There's not much attachment to somebody in pleasure and good feelings for the person who's in deep mourning. And that there's actually freedom in that because you're detached from those things that can very easily function as counterfeit gods. But today we want to talk about this application of living a life that has the Beatitudes at its root, that actually gives us that spiritual freedom to detach from these things that would otherwise pull us away from God, pull us away from the true source of joy. So N.T. Wright, as a former bishop in England, a professor, preeminent New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright says that the foundation of Christian community, the Christian family, Christian friendships. The foundation is this idea that true greatness comes through sacrificial love. True greatness comes through sacrificial love and true leadership consists in self-giving sacrifice. So true greatness comes through sacrificial love and true leadership consists in self-giving sacrifice, service to others. So the Beatitudes operate in true objective order. So why is Jesus telling us that blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the, the, the kingdom of God? Why is this the case? Well, it's because it operates 
from this sense of objective order that those, as a great writer once put it, he who has Christ and everything else has the same as he who has Christ and nothing else. That if you have Christ, you have everything, regardless of what you might be deprived of in physical existence. Right. But if we quickly have a lot of these things, it can detract from our relationship with Christ, captivate us and pull us away from actually having the source of life, the source of what it means to be human. And the Beatitudes put a proper framework into our lives that I am blessed. Who's ever been on Twitter and seen or Instagram hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. What are those pictures? They're probably not you weeping because you're mourning would be my guess. What are the pictures we see in hashtag blessed? It's this misunderstanding of what we mean by that term. It's a pretty sunset on a yacht. Hashtag blessed, right? This beautiful vacation, hashtag blessed. But Jesus kind of puts a different framework into this idea of blessing. He says, blessed are those who mourn, right? Well, there's true freedom in that, that detachment. So when we do this, when we live out the Beatitudes, meaning we live out a life that is detached from those four things. We detach ourselves from wealth holding us captive and pleasure and power and fame holding us captive. In a broken and disordered world, that has a result. What is the result? The result, as Christ puts it in chapter five, is persecution. That those who walk through life counterculturally, Pursuing the good, which is Christ, being open and willing to reject those things that others are pursuing, it can lead to persecution because the world is disordered. And so if we're open handed with our wealth, if we are willing to be filled with joy, even though we lack pleasure, if we're willing to be open handed with our power, to willingly seek to subvert ourselves for the good and the will of or for the good of the other, then we can be taken advantage of, we can be uh, persecuted. And yet Christ says this: Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. This is where I want to focus today, is, is verse 12. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. And that's because, as N.T. Wright pointed out to us earlier, true greatness comes from sacrificial love. The classic definition of love for the scholastic thinkers like Thomas Aquinas was love is willing the good of the other. I love you if I will your good and you love me If you will, my good. This is derived from Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Looking after not only your own interests, but the interests of others. If I love you, I will your good. If you love me, you will my good. And so it's this idea of pouring out of ourselves in sacrificial love that the Beatitudes speak to. That if you are willing to sever those attachments to things that confine us, constrain us, and captivate us, if you're open-handed with those things, you'll find true peace. 
Because that's what Christ does. It sets the world free. And we have been captivated by this broken world. So in our pouring out of ourselves, how does that functionally work? Well, if I have in mind that my reward is great in heaven, I can rejoice. I can rejoice in poverty. I can rejoice in wealth. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 4, the oft-misapplied verse of Philippians 4.13. Well, there's a context there. Uh, You know, sometimes when you're trying to jog and you're me, you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's probably not exactly what Paul means there. What are the verses preceding it? Paul says, I've known times of great abundance. I've known times of great need. I've known times of wealth and I've known times of poverty. And I've recognized that the way to maintain joy in either circumstance is Christ. That's the beatitude that I'm severed from this idea that I need wealth to be happy. Paul says, no, you don't. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can make it through times of great need. You can wisely use the times of great abundance because you're open-handed with it. And you recognize that regardless of what I have here, I know it pales in comparison to the weight of glory that is to come. So we're open-handed with our wealth. The Beatitudes tell us if we keep that framework in mind that we should rejoice and be glad for our reward is great in heaven... Pleasure takes a different role in our lives. We no longer selfishly, consistently pursue our own pleasures, the things that make us happy. But we recognize that what should bring us joy is watching God work and redeem others around us. So we sacrificially pour out ourselves. We deny ourselves pleasure that we might bring others closer to the kingdom of God, that they might find joy and that they might find peace. So we deny ourselves our own pursuit of pleasure in order to be focused on others. And that's a truly sacrificial love that is truly great. And power, true power is in self-sacrifice. True power is in self-sacrifice. Now I want to end on fame. We're going to focus here a little bit. We have a framework of those who see That you should rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Who had that framework and that mentality perfectly? Well, it's Christ. The the passage from Philippians chapter 2 I mentioned earlier. What does Paul go on to say? Why should you count others more significant than yourselves? Why should you look after the interest of others and not just yourself? Because Christ Jesus did it. Right? Though being in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he poured himself out. He humbled himself, he poured himself out, even to the point of death and death on the cross. And what is the result? True fame. Christ pours himself out. He does not pursue fame. He doesn't pursue wealth. He doesn't pursue pleasure as an end. He instead pursues Heaven, the will of his father. And what's the result? True fame that every knee shall shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord. So Christ, as our exemplar, we look to somebody who lives out the beatitude, a poor in spirit, a meek, the mild, the humble, the persecuted. Full detachment from money, 
from pleasure, from power, from fame, full detachment, and lives a fully joyful human life and enables us to do so by following his example. So a more uh, uh, recent example of fame from doing this is the person of Mother Teresa. So we close talking about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa never pursued wealth. She never pursued her own pleasure. In fact, she entered in to a world of lepers, putting her own pleasure, health, wealth, safety on the line, willing the good for the other's sake by loving people in Calcutta. We all know the name Mother Teresa. She had a fame that has transcended cultures and has transcended even uh, generations. And it's because she acted out of the spirit of the Beatitudes that she knew that she should rejoice and be glad for her reward is great in heaven. So she could face physical poverty, suffering, pain, death. She would willingly sever herself from all those things for the good of the other. Willing the good of the other. And that sacrifice is what gave her true freedom and true peace. So to close, I want to ask, who is more free? Was Mother Teresa more free by functioning as the Beatitudes called her to function? Or is the modern American pursuing the American dream at all costs, acting out of selfish ambition, drive to get wealth and pleasure and power and fame. Who is the captive and who is free? And the Beatitudes tell us that St. Teresa, as Christ, as the other saints throughout church history, are the truly free ones because they had no attachment to this world. They operated in open detachment out of sacrificial love. And that's why we know their names. Because they were truly great. They were truly great leaders because they poured themselves out. They lived from a position of the Beatitudes. So when we think about the chaos of this modern world, what can we do to fix the the current problems in our moral landscape in the modern American culture? I think the answer is quite simple in Matthew 5. That we sever ourselves from those things that are counterfeit gods, as Keller puts it in our lives. And instead, we pursue loving other people, willing the good of other people, acting out of self-sacrifice and love. And that story has played out over and over and over again throughout all the world, throughout all church history, that all it takes is saints who are willing to sever themselves from those things, to live out the Beatitudes in love And that is how we can participate with Christ in the redemption of all things and how all things can be redeemed. Let me pray for us.